Well, thank you, Pastor Dan. Well, it's a delight to be here in Sarver once again. We have been here numerous times. I pastored in the, uh, the general Pittsburgh uh, area, southwestern Pennsylvania, for uh, about 30 years of our ministry was spent in, in Irwin and Uniontown and New Stanton. And uh, this was at one time one section. And so my wife and I were, were chuckling a little bit as we came in this morning. Long before this sanctuary was built, there was a multi-purpose building uh, that was used as a gym and a sanctuary. And uh, one evening we were here for a minister's get together and we were backing out and they were just installing parking lot lights and so the cement base was installed but then there were no light poles or lights on them and so we're backing up and I backed up right into one of those concrete bases and it was rude. The, the, the noise that, uh, that that, it sounded like somebody set a shotgun off in our car, and I was turned around anyway trying to see, and, and uh, I watched my wife's neck snap back, and oh my goodness, it was just bad. So uh, we have fond memories of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'd like my wife to stand and just wave. This is my wife, Robin. She's my favorite wife. And I have to, I have to brag on her a little bit uh, today. Yesterday we were, we were packed and ready to go, and I had a busy morning. I went into the office and I hurried back, and we had made plans that we would share the same suitcase. But when I saw how much there was in the suitcase, and uh, I just went ahead and got another suitcase, and uh, um, I took my suitcase and put it in the car along with a garment bag, along with a briefcase, and we're rushing and everything. So we get to the hotel uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, as I was opening the back, I had this really horrible feeling. And I said to uh, Robin, I said, honey, you put your suitcase in the car, didn't you? And she just laughed, and she goes, you're kidding, right? <laughs> and by then, the, the lift gate was up, and there was no blue suitcase. And she, she just looked and goes, oh. How many of you know that's a gift when that's all you get? That was a gift. And so she just, she just handled that so well. And she said, well, it's my fault too, but really it's yours. And uh, so last night I had some meetings here at the church, and uh, uh, I was at Walmart afterwards buying some makeup for my wife. Let that sink in a second. I was at... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's a, she's a saint, and, uh, it's, and it's such a joy to be with Pastor Dan and Shauna. I so appreciate these wonderful Canadians. I, I, but I have, to, I have to say, Pastor Dan, I, I, love your, I love your spirit and I love your, your, your attitude, but I'm a little disappointed because I have yet to hear you say, A... I, I haven't, has, has anybody heard him say that? It's a beautiful Sunday, eh? Come on, work with me, I want to hear that. But anyway, uh, you have wonderful pastors here and uh, the, the staff here. And I've known Pastor Lorna, my goodness sakes, we go back quite a, a little ways too. Uh, by the way, Pastor Corey, 
Pastor Corey, you know, you know, there he is. Pastor Corey, did, I don't know if you caught this, but potty trained. It just could have been interpreted that you're not potty trained yet. I'm, I'm not, did you catch that? I saw you kind of react to that. Anyway, I'm sure she meant your children. I'm sure of that, okay. But anyway. <laughs> You just, you, you have a wonderful, wonderful church, wonderful staff, and uh, it's good to be, it's good to be with you. I, I, I want you to know I'm just an equal opportunity offender. I, I offend everybody. It's, uh, uh, I hope not, but anyway. How many of you are interested in health care? Is that, isn't that just part of our culture and part of our reality? Uh, we have 405 churches in Pendel. So you're part of a larger network, part of a larger family. There are about 110,000 people who call Assembly of God their home in Pennsylvania and Delaware. And that's just, that's just here. Nationwide, there are about 3 million. We have about 13,000 churches and 38,000 ministers. But that's the small part of our tribe. 95% of our tribe is overseas. We've been a missions movement since we were born. We have nearly 67 million family members overseas. Nearly 375,000 churches. God has done a wonderful thing since 1914 in the establishment of this fellowship that we affectionately call the Assemblies of God. This morning I want to talk to you about some health issues though. I'm not talking just about physical health. I mean, physical health is always, it's always part of our reality. Whenever we're resourcing churches with pastors, it's always part of the conversation is their health care provided. And uh, uh, in just a couple of weeks, my, I have uh, my semi-annual appointment. I'm going to go see the doctor, and I'm going to get a physical. And you know the routine. There are, there are vital signs that they always, they always look for. You go in, and, and they, they, uh, they take your... Well, the first thing they do is put you on a scale. I, I, just, I just don't think it's anybody's business how much I weigh. But I... I put all my stuff in my coat pocket so that I can lose 10 pounds, right? Right now, that just happens. And uh, so they do that, then you go, into the, you go into the waiting room and they put something in your ear, they take your temperature, those kinds of things, and, and check your blood pressure. And uh, this morning, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 40, and we're going to read it through the end of the chapter. And uh, uh, this is probably... And I would say, arguably, this is the healthiest state the church was ever in. And when we talk about the church, we have to think of it in two different frameworks. First of all, we, when we talk about the church, usually we think about the collective body of believers that gather together, the church. But we also recognize that the church is comprised of individual members, right? Right? So we can, we can equally and accurately say we are the church or we are part of the church of Jesus. We, but we can also say I am the church because the collective body is made up of individuals, right? 
And so this morning's sermon, this morning's message is going to talk about vital signs of a healthy and vibrant church. And there are two ways to apply this, and we have to apply it equally to both of these, to, to both of these pieces. One is, how are we doing collectively as a group, as a witness in our community? How are we doing as a church? And so I want you to think about that as we go through Acts 2, 40 through 48. But there's also the I part of it. How am I doing? So these five vital signs that we're going to visit upon this morning apply individually and collectively. And so we're going to read it now. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 40. Would you kindly stand with me one more time as we honor God's Word and its reading? Acts 2.40. And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. How many of you know that's a message that can be preached today? Then those who glad... Oh, let me set this up for a second. This is the day of Pentecost. Uh, some call it the birthday of the church. The first outpouring of the Holy Spirit as per the promise of Jesus in uh, uh, John 14, Acts 1, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Tarry in Jerusalem, he said in Luke chapter 24. This is that. This is that. This is the fulfillment of that promise. He said, tarry in Jerusalem. Hang out in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is that. And so Peter is responding to the, uh, the crowd who said, what does this mean? This pouring out into the streets and praising God in our own languages. And, and Peter said, uh, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who gladly received Peter's word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. How many of you know that's a good day in church? And they, now 3,120, these believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through, were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food, they ate their meals with gladness and simplicity, some versions say sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that this description will come to live out in this church. I pray that we will be healthy individually and corporately. And I pray that, Lord, today you will speak to our hearts individually as to how we can improve our personal spiritual health, and then that improvement will contribute to the overall health of our collective body. Grant this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So 
So there are five things that we're going to talk about. Five metrics, five, five vital signs. So here's what I want you to do. Find your pulse. Can you do that? Can you, can, can you feel your pulse? If you can't feel your pulse, please raise your hand. We're going to have prayer for you right, right away. Okay, so you have a pulse, and you have a state of health. And this morning, we're going to look at these five, these five metrics, these five vital signs to decide if I am and we are healthy in our walk with the Lord. Number one, discipleship. The first measurement that we, we read about here, it, it says that they received the word. How many of you know the word of God is of paramount importance in our spiritual vitality and health? You know that, right? We have to have the word of God. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of life. God's word brings life to us internally, externally. It's, it's, it's important for us. And here we see in verses 41 and 42 that these 3,000 new believers gladly received the word of God. They embraced it. Not only did they embrace it, but they immediately acted upon it. You know, you can read the Bible through every year, and if it doesn't transform your life, something's broken. There's a disconnect. Because the Word of God is supposed to, is supposed to change us. It's living and it's powerful. And so their first reaction to receiving the Word of God was they were, they were baptized. They got wet. That, that, was, that, was, that was just the fulfillment of what Jesus had told them in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And you know in the first century, baptism was a whole lot different than what it has been in American culture. In American culture, for some, it's kind of a rite of passage. I remember the first time I was baptized. I was baptized uh, three times in my life, actually. I was baptized when I was 12. It, what it meant to me at 12 years old was I got to start taking communion at church. That's all it meant. When I was 15 years old, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I got really saved. And I remember asking my sister, my older sister, who had gotten saved about three months before I did, and she was three years older than me. And I remember saying to her, her name is Robin too. And I said, Robin, um, I feel like I should get baptized. Do you think that would offend God? It's like as if the first time wasn't good enough. She said, I, I just think that if that's what's in your heart, you should do it. So I did it. The third time I was baptized was just kind of a, a thing. We were in Israel and we were in the Jordan River. And I <laughs> just baptized me again, you know. This seems like the right thing to do. Profession of faith in Jesus. Let me ask you, have you been baptized in water by immersion? And if you have, you're on track. Good first step. If you haven't, F.F. F. Bruce was a Bible commentator, and he said the, an unbaptized Christian in the first century was unthinkable. It was like peanut butter and jelly. It just went together. And, and, and if you haven't been baptized, I would urge you. That's not, a, that's not a matter of theology. It's a matter of obedience. And so they were submitting themselves to the Word of God right from the gate. 
Are you growing? As an, here we go. Pulse. Are you growing in the Word? Or maybe you've been in the Lord for 50 years and you know it all. Good luck with that. There was a fellow, he was like 94 years old, still teaching Sunday school in his church. And he had, he had been an interim pastor uh, in my first place where I was a lead pastor. He was between the former pastor and me filling in that three-month gap. And um, Brother Hoke was his name. And I, I wanted to honor Brother Hoke in his 90s, still serving the Lord. And I'll never forget that Sunday evening he came to preach. His son drove him. And when he came in, we just greeted each other. And he had one of those thick Bibles and, you know, all, all tattered and worn. And he said, Don, let me show you what the Holy Spirit's been showing me this week. I've never seen it this way before. I said, Brother Hoke, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Still growing in the Lord into his mid-90s. How many of you know there's usually room in our life for more growth? And I want to, here's my, my personal goal and aspiration, is I want to grow right into his presence. I want to keep growing until the day I, I, walk, I, I get walked into, into his presence. And here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's what I'm asking you this morning. As a church, how healthy are you in the, in the way of discipleship and bringing other people to greater maturity in their faith? And, and by the way, it's not only what you know, but it's how you behave that is the measurement point, Right? Am I growing in what I know, and am I growing in how it affects me on Monday? Am I in a personal growth track where I'm reading my Bible daily, where I am intentionally working on, working on and working out, becoming a better follower of Jesus Christ? Here in the first century church, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the Word of God. It hadn't been written yet, but it was being articulated. And they dedicated themselves to listening and living it out. Take your pulse. Take your spiritual pulse. Let's ask ourselves collectively as a church, how are we doing? And if God has given you the gift of teaching, whether it be in a classroom setting or one-on-one -on -one mentoring, are you in the game? How are we doing collectively? How am I doing personally? The second, the second area is fellowship. It said they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and they, by implication, they dedicated themselves to the fellowship. Being in fellowship is a requirement for healthy Christianity. Jesus meant for us to do this thing as a community. So we love the large group gatherings. We call that Sunday morning church. We love small group gatherings, fellowship meetings. We, I, I'll tell you, I need fellowship. I need other people. There are two reasons 
for the requirement of fellowship if you want to grow healthy. Here they are. You need others, and others need you. You need, and I need, other people speaking health and challenge into my personal life. I was listening to, he's a great author, his name's Gordon MacDonald. And Gordon MacDonald shared this story where he was meeting with a mentor of his. And he was a pastor and he was having a bad week. And I don't remember the substance of his bad week. I just remember him saying he was having a bad week and he was bashing somebody who had been bashing him. And he said, I remember my mentor saying this to me. Gordon, people who love Jesus do not talk like that. Let me ask you, friend. Ready? When was the last time you were corrected? And if you can't think, or if I can't think of, the last time I was corrected, does that mean that I've grown beyond correction? Hello? Or does that mean that maybe I don't have people close enough who might feel confident and comfortable to challenge me. I have, there have been times where I've been corrected by the Holy Spirit. I have heard the Holy Spirit speak to my spirit. Here's what he said to me one time. I was sitting there, I was having this awkward conversation with somebody, and I was being resistant in the process. I wasn't being filled with grace, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, Don, shut up. That's what I heard. And in that moment, I was corrected because I was more worried about myself than this other person that was involved in the conversation. So the Spirit brings correction to us. The Word brings correction to us. But sometimes the Lord uses people. And by the way, if you are often used in the ministry of correction, you might have an issue. (laughs) Okay. Here's the deal. We need fellowship. And we need, to be, we need to be connecting with people. We need to be connecting with new people that will come to the church. Can you say a good amen? You know how you spell fellowship? P-I-E. And you can say cherry pie or apple pie or coconut cream pie or chocolate cream pie. This is my love language. But here's the reality, and here's the challenge for you. You ready? When was the last time you invited somebody you don't know well to come over to your home? You know, part of our culture is, as Christians is to be hospitable. Am I right? And sometimes, it, I don't know why in America, we're, we're not real good at this. And sometimes it's just because we're self-conscious about our house, right? If you can't put it on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens. And, and you know what we really need to do? Let's suspend our pride. And let's open our house, open our heart, open our home. And I want to, can I lay out a challenge for you? See, these people were committed to fellowship. And it says it later. They ate bread from house to house. This thing of having meals and having people over goes back to the day of Pentecost and even before because this was just part of Jewish culture. 
Jewish culture was such that they built their homes with a guest room because there was no room in the inn. They didn't have Spring Hill Suites. They didn't have Holiday Inns. And people, when they were passing through, might just stop at a stranger's house for the night. Can you imagine? We call that a shed. (laughs) And I'm not letting you sleep there either. In the church, we ought to excel at hospitality. I want to encourage I want to encourage you. I want to see some of our Assembly of God churches break out and become, and I'm not saying that you're going to host strangers in your home, and I know that there are, that's, that's risky, and, and if the Lord leads you to that, that's, that's between you and him. I'm, I'm just talking about pie and coffee. You don't even have to bake the pie. You can go over to Eaton Park and pick one up. I know they have coconut cream pie. How are you doing? Take your pulse. Ask yourself the question. When was the last time I opened my home to somebody who was a relative stranger to me? By relative, I mean they go to your church. But you just don't know them. Here are healthy signs of healthy believers and healthy churches. They're involved in discipleship. They are committed to fellowship. Thirdly, they were committed to worship. We see it sprinkled through the whole passage. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to meeting in the temple daily. These are spiritual acts of worship. Sometimes we think of worship as the music and the band and the chorus and raising our hands. That is worship, but it's much bigger than that. And by the way, we really need to focus on prayer. Here it says they devoted themselves to communion, breaking of bread in that instance, and prayer. I I, uh, heard a story about, excuse me, (coughs) I heard a story about Uh, three pastors who used to get together on Mondays and have coffee and just discuss theology, stuff around the church, those kinds of things. And one day they they were talking about the appropriate posture of prayer. And one pastor sipped on his coffee and he said, I'll tell you, I'm old school. I just like to get on my knees, fold my hands, bow my head, and talk to God. Another guy said, well, I'm, I'm cut out of a different cloth. I, I, I like to go into the sanctuary when nobody's around, and I just lay out prostrate. And I seek God on my face. And the other guy says, well, I'm, I'm a little different than that. I just love to, I love to go up to the mountains. When I can do a personal retreat, there's a spot that is just the, the, the beauty of God's creation and I just spread my hands open and I worship and I talk to God. I never have closer times of intimacy than that. And there was a telephone repairman out in the outer office listening to this and he tapped on the door and he said, can I weigh into this conversation? 
And the three preachers said, sure, come on in, have a cup of coffee. He came in, he sat down, and he said, I have found the most effective posture of prayer is when I'm 20 feet up on a telephone pole hanging upside down by my heels. He said, I never seek God more intently than when that happens. How many of you know it's not the posture, it's the prayer that matters? It's seeking his face. It's doing that collectively. There's something good that happens when two or three or two or three hundred are gathered together in his name. Let me ask you, if you were to take your pulse, spiritual pulse, how are you with discipleship? How are you with fellowship? Number three, how are you with worship? I've learned this. That if I don't train my spirit, if I don't discipline my spirit, I can come into church and it can be the most anointed time of worship and I can be working on a grocery list. Am I right? We have to, that's a, that's a part of our spirit. And individually and collectively. Now I'm in a different church just about every week. And I see different worship styles everywhere I go. And I've learned this, that I can be in a Catholic Mass and I can still engage my spirit in worship. Style is style. And I know that there are favorite styles, and I get that. There are so many different styles of worship today. You know what? What's really important is what's going on on the inside of me. Because God is looking for a certain kind of worshiper, right? Those who worship in spirit and in truth. He's concerned about what's going on on the inside as well as what's going on on the outside. Let me ask you, how is your prayer life? Individually and corporately. How is your worship life? How is your church attendance? A big challenge in our culture today. We have gone from three to four times a month being considered regular attenders, faithful attenders, to 1.7. The trend is we travel a lot. Or something else is going on, like t-ball or soccer. Oh, beloved, listen, it matters. Here... They got together daily. Can you imagine, Pastor? Daily worship services? But they did it. A fourth vital sign is stewardship. This is an interesting part of the passage. It said they had everything in common. What does that mean? It was talking about a common treasury. Now, this was specific to this day and to the needs that were here. But it talks about cooperation. Where they gave generously. In fact, in the next two chapters, we'll read about Barnabas, who had a plot of land, 
and he went and sold it, and it says that he brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet for distribution because there were people who were losing their jobs because they were followers of Jesus Christ. There were famines that occurred, and there was no help from the government. They had to address this as a community, and believe it or not, this is one of the characteristics that made the church attractive in the first century. They loved one another, and they showed it. How did they show it? Well, they had fellowship. They worshiped together daily. They were in discipleship, which automatically implies relationship. And fourthly, they stewarded their resources in a generous way. Hey, by the way, here's an example. Kudos to you. You know, in stewardship, if I use everything on me, I'm not going to have the means to be generous to others. Then we've got this thing which means I can actually spend more than what I have. And if I get into the habit, I've got three of these in here. And if I get into the habit of maxing these out and making payments, now look, I'm not throwing condemnation at you. I want to challenge you, if you've got your credit cards maxed out, take the Financial Peace University course. What's the guy's name? Ramsey. David Ramsey. And get out of that slavery. Come on, say a good amen. That's bondage. But I want to be in a position to where I can be generous to other people. I, let me tell you a quick story. Her name was Kathy. And I was a youth pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, and Kathy was, she had three kids that were in my youth group. And I heard this story, and I've, I've told it so many times, but Kathy and Joanne were part of a home Bible study. This was before home Bible studies were a thing, and they were part of this home Bible study fellowship group, and there was a gal named Sarah, and they were aware that Sarah and her husband had, they were in the middle of a remodel project in their kitchen. They had stripped the walls down to the studs. Cabinets were gone, and that's, they were doing this. And Sarah was diagnosed with cancer. In those days, when you had major surgery, it meant two to three weeks in the hospital. She had major cancer surgery. And the Bible study group found out And Kathy went to Pastor Clifton, and she said, Pastor, we've been made aware that, number one, she has cancer. Number two, their their home is gutted, at least in the kitchen area. Kitchen's a pretty important part of the house, right? What we want to do is take a collection, an offering from our group, and we want to do the remodel for them. And Pastor Clifton said, I, I think that's a fine idea. He blessed it, contributed to it. I thought it was so appropriate that they wanted to make sure that it was in alignment with other things in the church. It's just, that's just so righteous. 
And so this group got together. They, they covered the materials that were outstanding. They came in. They threw up the drywall. They cover, you know, did the mud, painted the walls, hung the cabinets. They got the kitchen back in, in shape. I, I believe it was before Sarah got home from the hospital. Additionally, they arranged to have meals at Sarah's home every other day because she had children, and her husband was going to be busy. He still had to work, and then when he wasn't working, he was taking care of the kids, and, and eventually, Sarah, when she got home from the hospital. Folks, that's the body of Jesus. That's what unity does. That's what genuineness does. That's what disciples do. That's what people who are in fellowship do. That's what people who are connected to God in worship do. They're good stewards of their resources so that they can be generous when a need arises. I want you to put your finger on your pulse. I want to ask this question. Am I individually stewarding the resources that God sends my way in a way that brings honor to him? Am I faithful to my church? If you're not just, today would be a good day to say, God be my helper, I'm going to start. Am I faithful not only to my church with tithes, but am I faithful with my heart in offerings? Stuff like this. There will always be needs. And, and your pastor can tell you there's hardly a week that goes by that he's not made aware of some additional need, some additional appeal. And we realize as, as pastors and leaders, we can only say yes to so many. But we want to say yes to so many. Amen? And as the body of Christ comes together, friends, you can be a powerful expression of the love and compassion of Jesus in your community. Can you say a good amen? Last vital sign, partnership. There's a partnership between the leadership and the followership, if you'll permit me that term. I don't think that's a real word. But there's this partnership, and it's, and it's demonstrated in the last two, the last two verses. Let me, let, me, let me pull it up here real quick. It says in verse 47, how they ate, 46 says, they ate their food with gladness and sincerity of heart, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. How many of you know, if we're living our life right, we will gain favor in our community? Hey, now, sometimes it brings persecution. We have to be ready for that, too. But here, it, they, they, they gained favor in their community. And then it says, the Lord added to the church every day people who were being saved. Wouldn't you like that to be your testimony at, at Evangel Heights? It seems like every day somebody's getting saved. Friend, it can happen. It can happen every Sunday. God help us. 
It can happen every day. You know what? I, I was pastoring in Uniontown. We pastored Uniontown for 18 years. We were enjoying. It was an unusual season of God's favor, but it was God's favor. I wish I could tell you the whole story because there were miracles that happened that were just God-sized miracles. But the result was that I remember one day I was on hospital visitation and our children's pastor was sitting in his office, but somebody came in, um, uh, Billy's wife, Christy. Christy came in and uh, they, she, wasn't, she wasn't serving the Lord. They were play, her husband was playing on the softball team and they had to come to church twice a week because those are the rules of the softball league. And, and, and they were connected in that way, but that's as much as they were connected. And Christy came in one, one, one weekday and she said, I'm here to get saved. Pastor Don here. No, he's in hospital business. Pastor Ed's here. Okay, I'll go see Pastor Ed. She went in. Pastor Ed led her to Jesus in his office. Daily. Another time this really happened. All of us pastors were at different hospitals. And another guy came in. And, and no kidding. They, 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 he came into church. He stopped by and he said, I'm not right with God. I need to get right with God. Can I talk to one of the pastors? And our secretary said, no, none of the pastors are here. Let me call Perry. Perry was our custodian. Perry was a spirit-filled custodian. I can still hear, he's with Jesus now. I can still hear Perry in service going, well, glory! That was Perry. He was filled with God. He just was filled with, I'm sure he just scared people into the kingdom sometimes when they're standing and he'd do one of his well glories. And Perry came upstairs and, and he, he had been one of our deacons, but he became one of our, one of our uh, uh, custodians. And, and uh, he came upstairs and, and took this fellow down to the altar and he heard his heart and they prayed together and the fellow got saved. People walk in off the streets to get saved. It's a partnership. I'm so thankful that God, it, God doesn't limit ministry to pastors. Amen? He wants us all to be involved in serving Him. And I want to, I want to, I want to ask you, so there's this partnership between, between the leaders and between those that are following, and they partnered together. Paul said in Philippians 1, you have been my partner in ministry since the first. There's a partnership, and it's essential. There aren't enough pastors on the planet to do the work of the ministry. It takes the whole body of Christ. And bringing, and when I say partnership, it's serving, but it's also witnessing. It's also providing a good gospel witness to your community. So these, these are part of the witness, but I, here's the challenge. Are you ready? Can you find your pulse? I want to, I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you shared your story how you came to Christ? When was the last time you shared your story with somebody who's not following? And I know some people right now are going, oh dear Jesus, this kind of scares me. You know what makes it go easy? Pie. 
and ice cream and coffee. And friends, how did you come to know Jesus? You can share this story in five minutes. It doesn't, it do, you don't have to have letters in front of your name or after your name. You just have to know what your story is. And there's a, there's a world that's dying to hear it. And you, it doesn't have to be an in-your-face kind of a deal. It's just a conversation. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. What does a witness do? They just tell what they saw or heard or experienced or what they know. That's what a witness does. And I know that sometimes we have so complexified this. That is a word. And we've complicated it, and we've made it a course, and you have to take the course, and you have to get the certificate. And then when we get the certificate, we put it in a file. And it doesn't matter. You know what matters? Tell your story to someone. And I challenge you, this, this, uh, by the end of the year, maybe that's too soon. I'm going to give you some, some broader parameters. In 2020... Pray about it and ask God to open the door of opportunity for, for you to share your come to Jesus story with four people in 2020. Could you, do you think you can do that? Four people. And, and I'll bet somebody's face will pop into your head right off the bat. And that'll be the first person you begin to pray about that. You don't want to go bashing the door down and put, you can put this away. You need to get right with God. That's true, but put it away. <laughs> because humility and genuineness will go much further than a pointed finger. So is it the neighbor you've never talked to yet? Or maybe it's somebody in your family. And the conversation is so simple, it just can be, listen, can we sit down and talk? Now, come on over for pie and ice cream. I want to hang out with you. There you go. And just to say, I want to share with you the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. And unpack your story. And then let them unpack theirs. Because conversations are better than this. And I'll bet God will use you. The Holy Spirit will anoint you. And people are going to come to faith in Jesus. So how is your health? In the early church, it was these five things that dominated their story. They were committed to discipleship, following Jesus, doing the Word. They were committed to fellowship, doing Christianity in community. They were committed to worship. They prayed often and they met daily. They demonstrated stewardship. They were generous with their stuff and helped people who lacked it. And five, they were engaged in a partnership with one another, with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord of the harvest, and with the leaders. And we read it time and time again. Here, 
They added daily to the church, people who were being saved. A little bit later, we read 5,000 were added. We read a little bit later, a whole bunch of priests from the Levitical priesthood got saved and came to faith in Jesus. And as the book of Acts continues to unpack, more and more people are coming into relationship with Jesus. Server, Evangel Heights, may that be your testimony. That you are healthy individually and personally. And that you are healthy corporately and in unity. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I pray for this church. And I pray that, Lord, health will dominate their story. There may be somebody here today, Lord, who's not connected with you. If that be the case, would you please touch that person right in the heart and begin to draw them to you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just in a moment, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Don, I need to reconnect with God. I need to connect with Jesus. I came, in fact, you might have come to church today hoping for an opportunity, hoping for some direction, a clean sheet of paper, a do-over, a fresh start. I want you to know that God excels in that kind of thing. He wants to give you a new beginning. A verse in the Bible that says, he who is in Christ becomes a new creation. All the old stuff is past, and behold, everything becomes new. You're here today and you say, I need that in my life. Would you slip your hand up right now? Is there anyone? Yeah, God bless you, sir. Is there anyone else? Yes, in the back there. God bless you. You can put your hand up. Are there any others? Here's my hand, Pastor. Would you include me in this closing prayer? If that's you, slip it up and let me acknowledge it and I'll know who I'm praying for. And we'll, we'll just move on from there. Anyone else? With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, these two who have raised your hand, would you just make eye contact with me for a second? I just want to connect with you. I'm going to lead in a prayer. Perhaps you've prayed this prayer before and perhaps not. It's not my words, it's your heart that makes the difference. And I'm going to invite the whole church to join with us in this prayer. And if you'll pray it right along with us, mean it in your heart. It's between you and God. God's going to hear. He's going to answer that prayer. Let's pray it together. Church family, would you join with me? Dear God, I admit there have been times in my life where I've blown it. I've sinned. And I confess that. Please forgive me for all my sins. Come into my life and make me to be the person you want me to be. Help me to grow in health, spiritually, and in every other way. And with your help, God, I will live for you from this day forward. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you so much for praying that prayer. Here's what I would like to encourage you. Connect with the pastor. Connect with the team here at the church. Let them know that you prayed this prayer and enter into a conversation with them about what the next steps look like. God bless you, my friends. Have a great Sunday.